All right, would you turn to the book of 1 John? We are in our second sermon in the book of 1 John. Authentic Christianity, this is what John is outlining because there are false teachers that are teaching a different gospel. And if there's anything more basic, more uh, fundamental to our understanding, it's who God is and how does God save or what is a Christian. In 1 John chapter 1 John is talking, and he says here in verses 5 to 10, this is our passage for this morning, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Father, we just pray this morning, we ask that you would give us understanding to this text. We ask that your spirit would help me to preach. We ask that your spirit would help our ears to listen, that we would bow to the word of Christ, that we would see it and accept it and live it and love it as true, because it is true. We pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work as we read and hear about the text, that you would illuminate minds and hearts. Do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I, oh, we were having our memories about our old fellowship groups, and I remember I had this good friend in my fellowship group. His name was Kenyon. And... Um, uh, they started coming to our group. The Youngstrom started coming to our group. And I remember as we started preaching the gospel and teaching the gospel that he started to understand very quickly that he wasn't a Christian. I think churches need to understand this, that if we preach the gospel clearly, folks will be confronted with the truth of the gospel and what the gospel does to people's lives. It sets their lives on a distinctly different pattern. If there is no distinct pattern, there is no salvation. First John is very clear with this. Okay? And so he saw that there was a distinct pattern of our group. Many of the group who were following after Christ. There was love of the word. There was fellowship with each other. There was hatred of sin. And he knew he didn't have it. I remember one time we were in our small two-bedroom, one-bathroom house in Vallejo. And he said, can I talk to you? And he pulled me into his, my uh, study at the time. And he said, Angelo, you're talking about the, this gospel, and I don't think I'm saved. I don't think I'm saved. And you see... If we don't preach the gospel clearly, this is John's whole concern. There are false teachers that are changing the definition of what a Christian is. If we don't preach it clearly, 
that God does save and salvation is free, but when you are saved, your life is markedly different. If that is not the case, then folks won't start to look at themselves and to see, am I really saved? The very sad thing, is, some, as some, one preacher said, is that we will see many go to hell at the portals of heaven. And the portals being the church. Because the church is not willing to confront. The church is not willing to be diligent. The church is not willing to be clear about the gospel and its call. And I remember as he said I wasn't, he wasn't saved. And I remember there was two years that gone by. And I just shared with him the gospel. And every time I saw him, I shared with him the gospel. And then he went into another ministry, and I remember a couple years later, and I said, Kenyon, are you, are you, do you know if you're saved? He goes, I know I'm saved now. Many of you guys know the story. He became a CHP, and he was shot in the neck, and he was pronounced brain dead, and he died uh, just a few years after that but I know I'll see him again. But if we're not clear with the gospel, brothers and sisters, the church is supposed to be the pillar of truth. And we've got folks that come into church all the time, that come into the services all the time, and praise the Lord that they come. We want as many folks to come, but we cannot dilute the gospel. If we dilute the gospel, if we make it ambiguous, if we say, oh, it's okay, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all going to get there somehow, without clearly preaching what Christ has called us to do, what Christ has called us to believe in, what a Christian really is, then we have a lot of confusion. And John is writing to that end. So my prayer as God tells you in the text, is that this morning you would be certain of your spiritual state and turn to Christ. Whether you are saved, that you would be encouraged and continue to follow in Christ. Or if you're unsaved, if after this sermon you look at this and you say, you know what, I don't think I'm saved. I don't think I'm a Christian. That you would turn to Christ as well. When you understand the nature of salvation and the supernatural rebirth of a Christian biblically, you'll be able to get a better assessment of your own spiritual state. This doesn't happen with the easy believism that is taught in many, many churches today. The easy believism that, which says that I could just accept Christ when I was five, six, seven years old that I walked up the altar somehow, that I raised my hand somehow, and yet my life never changed. I never had a hunger for scripture. I never wanted to be with other Christians. I just wanted that insurance. But I'm saved. But I'm saved. No, you're not. The Bible says you are not. No, look at here. He says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. And my first point is that God's character always creates change, okay? God's character always creates change. Not that God's character always changes. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God's character always creates change. In fact, 
In other words, to say, when God saves, the reason why people change, the reason why their hearts are different, the reason why they hunger after righteousness and they hate sin, the reason why they love the Word of God and they love other believers is because of the very character of God Himself. When God saves, He puts His own character in you. We know that's very clear later on even in 1 John. This must be declared. It must be taught. This is always distorted. When God calls a people, He calls them out to be separate. He calls them out to be holy. This is not, again, I have to keep flipping back and forth. This is not to say you earn your salvation. Not at all. You don't earn your salvation by works or of righteousness. Salvation is free. By trusting solely in Christ. But this is to say that there is a change in your life. This must be declared. John says, and this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. John is delivering a message that he himself has received. What's that message? He says that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That the character of God, if you were to describe it, is light. Now, a lot of folks, a lot of people in the world, when you call them on a sin, they always say, God is love. They don't ever say this part. Do you ever hear that? Well, isn't God love? How can you judge me? Right? Doesn't the Bible say, do not judge? Actually, the Bible does not say, do not judge. That's false. The Bible says do not judge hypocritically or self-righteously. But the Bible never says for you to check your mind at the door and not have assessment and evaluation. In fact, 1 John is all about assessment. He says, these things I have written to you so that you may, may what? Know that you have eternal life. You have to assess. Right? So, he says here, that this message I received is about the very character of God himself. What is it? God is light. Here, part and parcel of the gospel message, we were talking about this in Home Fellowship Group, is the character of God. You can't have the gospel without the character of God. You can't have the gospel without God. People have to know who he is, that God is holy. He is altogether righteous. He is an unapproachable light. That you can't go to Him on your own terms. You need salvation. You need forgiveness. God is light. Where did He receive this? Well, let's look at John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1, the gospel. And we're going to be ping-ponging back and forth because John wrote both. Okay, So John chapter 1, where did He see this light? Where did He get this message that God is light. Well, you know, in John chapter 1, he says, verse 9, there was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. And what is that saying? He's saying that the one who comes to explain God to us, he himself is light. If you couple that even with verse 18, Verse 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, this is a key verse. Look at verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. 
the only begotten God, who is at the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So what is he saying here? He's saying that Jesus Christ, who was at the bosom of the Father, Jesus Christ, who is co-equal with God, he says here, he has explained him. What's amazing about that word there for explain means that he has exegeted God the Father. That's the Greek word. He has brought forth who God is. He has shown us who God is. And who is God? Verse 9, there was the true light. In other words, Jesus Christ showed John who God is by showing that he was light. He was light. This implication is that this, this message must be delivered again and again and again. There is not a people group that does not need to hear this message. Clarity on God and God's people must always be taught. False teachers uh, hide behind this. They don't show what, who the glory of Christ is. In 2 Corinthians 4, I could even rattle this off for you. 4.4, 4, it says, In whose case the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. In other words, they don't see Christ's light. They don't see Christ's light. The two questions this book addresses is what is God like and what is a Christian? What's sad is in many churches, anyone, no matter how ungodly or resistant or apathetic to God's word and God's people, can claim to be a Christian, and no one even questions it. That's what's sad. When God himself told us what a Christian looks like and smells like. And so folks don't have that heart-to-heart -heart question. Are you saved? Do you really know Jesus? Did you just grow up in the church? Or did you just say some prayer with a Sunday school teacher and never really meant it, never really had a life change? This must be explained. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. The radical and pervasive nature of regeneration, regeneration is simply the rebirth. What is regeneration? It is when God exercises His power to renew Every part of your nature, that is your mind, your will, and your heart. Because prior to that, sin has distorted. It has distorted the way we think. It has distorted our hearts, our affections. It has distorted our will. And yet in regeneration, God recreates that in us. He causes us to think differently. We said it before, what we hated, we now love. And what we loved, we now hate, right? Right? Now, the radical and pervasive nature of regeneration or newness of life in the Christian is not rooted in self-help. Is not rooted in self-will. Is not rooted in self-dependence. 
is not rooted in self-actualization. The very basis of the changed life of a Christian is the very character of God himself. The reason why a Christian lives differently is because God got a hold of him and God is himself holy. God was uh, explained and he was described as a light when he was the pillar of fire in Exodus chapter 13. God is the light in the Psalms. In Psalm 27 and verse 1 he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Jesus declared himself to be the light. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus was the light in the transfiguration. Jesus is the light in heaven in Revelation 21. The glory of God has illuminated and its light is the Lamb. So what is the light? What is the light? Okay. In Scripture, light has two elements, okay? And it's not photons and it's not waves. In Scripture, light has the two elements. And the first element is truth, okay? In Scripture, light is a metaphor, is a picture of truth, God's truth, His word is light. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It gives me understanding. It allows me to see things the way they really are. It allows me to see who Christ really is, who, what heaven really is, what the church really is, the reality of hell, the reality of Satan, the value and the preciousness of the word of God itself. Light can be, can be said it is the word of God itself. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Light is God's truth. Look at 2 Peter and chapter 1. 2 Peter Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 19. This is, this is amazing. Look, he says here in verse 17. Let me move up there. When we receive honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance that was made to him by the glor majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the mountain. Peter is talking about the transfiguration. And then he says... That I experienced this great experience. I saw Christ. I even heard God's voice. You understand? And he says in verse 19, but I have something more sure than that experience. He says in verse 19, we have the prophetic word. That is scripture made more sure. In other words, he says, what is more sure, what is more certain than even me hearing his voice is the word of God. You could base your whole life on this. You could give yourself to this. You could bank. You could trust in his promises. He says, you have this right here. Some of you, sometimes it's a little bit dusty. Brush it off. But he says, this is more sure. 
This is more certain. This is, you could, you could bank on this, he says, which you do well to pay attention. What does it do? It is a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and morning star arises in your hearts. In other words, he says this, that the word of God clearly allows us to see spiritual realities, allows us to see uh, life experiences, allows us to see the reality of who Christ is by letting us see the truth. Light is God's truth. Okay? Light is God's truth. Secondly, light is God's righteousness. Light is God's righteousness. Notice there are many, many verses. I'm just going to show you a couple. Okay, it's not just the uh, he, light. It's not just that light banishes away ignorance by giving us truth, but light also shows us the sinfulness that we live in apart from Christ Himself. Light is His own righteousness. Notice He says, "Go back to our book before." In Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Light is righteousness. Okay? It has two elements. Truth and righteousness. Ephesians chapter 5 and 6. He says, let no one deceive you. Notice Paul is saying the same lesson that John is telling us. He says, let no one deceive you. What is he saying? Don't let anyone lie to you. Don't let anyone lie to you. He says, with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. People will lie to you and say it's okay. People will lie to you and say it's all right to live a certain way. To live without God. Without a care for Christ. Apart from his body. Apart from his people. Apart from his word. He says, don't let them lie to you. They're lying. He says... The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness. And now, here it is, you are light in the world. Not, this is not talking about the truth aspect. Notice he says, to walk as children of light. What do you mean? For the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing in the Lord. Do not participate in the fruit, unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. In other words, there's the aspect of light that is righteousness, that is holy, that is pure, that is good. And what God does in the Christian's life is He shines His light and He shines His goodness. And he shines his truth such that the Christian now is impressed in his heart, is impressed in her heart that even if I do sin, I can't stay in it. I can't remain in sin. I can't stay in this filth. Why? Because God has captivated me and my father is holy and my father is true. Romans also says it this way. The night is almost gone. And the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness. And put on the armor of light. 
God will not save a people and leave a people to stumble in their own sin and squalor. It's amazing, isn't it? He's not going to let you. You want to come. You desire to come. It runs against his own character. Then it says, God is without darkness. In him there is no darkness at all. Jeremy read James. And he says here in James that every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. When you look at God, and that word there is taken from uh, the merchants back in those days, they used to try and sell bad vases. The vases would have a crack in it, and then they would fill it in with wax and try and sell it, and then you'd take it home, and then the water would spill out through the wax, right? And so what they used to do is they used to take those vases, and they used to look in the sunlight and, sh and move it around, and when they see the light kind of come through it, then they would say, there's a shifting shadow, there's a shifting variation. This vase is not good. I'm not going to buy this vase. He, what he's saying is that God is completely true. God is completely righteous. There is no ill in him. There is no evil. There's no shadow of doubt. There's no shadow of ill or evil or wickedness in God himself. And this is why when he takes over someone's life, when a Christian comes to Christ, when they have faith in Him, they are overwhelmed with His truth. And they are overwhelmed with His righteousness. First Peter even says the same. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness. And then he tells you to keep your behavior excellent. In other words, as you see the light of the gospel and of the glory of Christ, your life is forever changed because of who God is. Now, knowing that God is light and that light includes God's truth, here's the question, okay? And John is making it very practical for us. John is making it very practical. And here's the question. Do you love the truth? Do you love the truth? Because if God is light and the light is truth, do you love the truth? Do you absorb the truth? Do you seek the truth, namely God's word? Or do you mix man's advice and philosophies with God? Do you give equal footing in your mind and life to God's truth and other philosophies? Do you love his word? Do you fight for his word? Do you discipline yourself to hear his word, read his word, memorize his word? Are you growing in his truth? If you have no hunger for God's word, if you have no hunger to get around the teaching of God's word, the Bible says you're not saved. Why? Because God's children, every single one of them, love his word. Secondly, knowing that God is light and that light includes righteousness, are you pursuing righteousness? 
Are you pursuing holiness? Are you one way at church service or are you another way around at work or at school, in home, or in the secret? So first, God's character always creates change. Always. There is not one Christian who has been saved who has not been changed. God has no illegitimate children. Okay, Look at this in 1 John. And uh, we're going to get through this, so I'm not going to do a full exposition. But you notice here in um, chapter... 2 and verse 9. No. Notice he says, the one who says he is in light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. No. Notice he loves other Christians. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. There's no cause for stumbling in him. I want to go to chapter 3. Oh, here it is. Chapter 3 and verse 9. Listen to these words, okay? This is not me making it up. This is not RBC making this up, okay? This is God's word. This is the pure gospel. Notice he says in chapter 3 and verse 9, no one, well, I know a guy who says he was saved and never turned to Christ, never went to church. The Bible says no one, no one is born of God, practices sin. You see that? He doesn't have a habitual, unrepentant life of sin. And the sin doesn't mean you're drunk, beat your wife every day. It could just mean you live a life that is devoid of Christ. He says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, whose seed? God's seed, abides in him. He cannot sin. That is the practice of sin, not the instance of sin. We all still have instances of sin, and John is going to talk about that. But he says he cannot practice sin. Because why? He is born of God. Verse 10. This is one of the most strong verses on this topic in the whole Scripture. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are unclear. Can't figure them out. They're mixed up. You can't judge them. There's no way to tell. No, that's not what the text says. What does the text say? By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Wow, that runs against American evangelicalism. You can't say that. He said it. How dare you say that? That's judging people. God says it. If your life is not changed, you're not a Christian. He says here, by the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness, just in case you didn't get it, anyone who doesn't practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love God. Those are strong verses. But these verses, my friends, these verses are not here to be a doom and gloom, fire and brimstone in your life. These verses are for you to turn to the only one who can give you hope, and that is in Christ. The beginning steps is saying, yeah, I am a sinner. I have done that. God, please forgive me. I trust in your son. I need him to forgive me all of my sins. I can't trust in that past experience where I raised my hand or I went up to the front. You have to do a work. 
And see, God loves you so much, he's brought you here to listen to this so you wouldn't be confused and you wouldn't be deceived. Secondly, God's character always creates change, but secondly, God's people always undergo change. God never changes, God's people always change. They change more and more into the likeness of Christ. Okay? And in these two aspects John is talking about, these are distinct aspects of the Christian. This is how they are changed. First is Christians, they share their lives. They share their lives. They're no longer in isolation. This is a supernatural act of God. He causes them to want to fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. This word their fellowship is koinonia. We talked about it. It means to have in common, partnership, sharing. These are folks who say they have a relationship with God. And you notice he says here, you should be able to tell the difference. And they're in two areas or two arenas. With God himself. Who's the fellowship with? Who's sharing with? It's with God himself. Notice in verse 6. Okay. We cannot remove the strength of these words. Even though it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like it's, you would say them in polite conversation, right? But notice the strength of these words. If we say that we have fellowship with him, or you could put relationship, or you could put participation, or you could put, relation, uh, you could put uh, um, partnership, a sharing of life. If you say you know God, you could say it that way. If you say you know God and yet you walk in darkness, you, it says we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay? If you say you know God and yet walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. The Bible says this, okay? No matter what a person says with their lips, no matter if they said, I used to do this, I used to do that for Christ. No matter what they say, he says, even if they claim fellowship, closeness to God, if you walk in darkness, that is, the word therefore walk, is a metaphor. It's used all over scripture to, say, to talk about the totality of your life, the manner of your life, the behavior of your life. If you are walking in darkness, what is darkness? It's the opposite of truth and righteousness, right? You're walking in the world away from his truth. You're walking from righteousness away from what he calls that is uh, good and of good repute and of good things of this world. I mean, good things of, his, of the scriptures and all the things that he would cause us to think about of Christ and his holiness and his righteousness. He says, if you walk away from that, if your life is characterized by that, if you're apathetic, you don't care, your life is a pattern of walking away, he says, you're a liar. You lie. You're not saved. The word pseudomatha, where we get the word pseudo, right? We say pseudo to mean fake. It's fake. You have a fake faith. It's not real. 
Why? Because God is light, and he changes every one of his children. But I know one God. No, God says. Right? God says. He says, you're a liar, and you don't follow the truth. Notice, we lie and do not practice the truth. You're a liar. Because this change is, once again, based on the character of God, a true Christian will not remain in darkness. Can a Christian sin? Absolutely. Can a Christian sin heinously? Absolutely. Can a Christian stay in sin, unrepentant, habitual? No. You can't. You want to know why? His seed is in you. And you know when you get yourself filthy, you can't stand it. Is that right, brothers and sisters? I got to get right with God. I got to ask for forgiveness. I got to turn to Christ again. I can't live this way. How do you lie? How do you lie? Who do you lie to? We're lying to God. We're saying we know him when we actually don't. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to everyone around us when we say we're a Christian. It's like that proverbial person at work who says they're Christians and yet curse like a sailor. You're a liar. See, we need this again in the church, brothers and sisters, that a Christian is markedly different. Sin is so deceptive that we lie. We lie to ourselves. We lie to God. We lie, lie to others. Hebrews 3 says, Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful, you don't even know it. You're just mouthing it, right? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, Your heart is so wicked, apart from the working of Christ, that you lie. He says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I just remember, I grew up in a... a fairly large church. It wasn't that large. I remember I had friends. They all got baptized. They all were meeting individually with people. They all started doing all these things, but there was no heart, no desire for the Word of God themselves. There was no heart, no real change. And yet they went through all of that, and I remember one of my friends in his 20s finally got saved. And we asked, well, what was all this before? He goes, it was all a lie. It was all a lie. I wasn't saved. It was all a lie. Are these people present in churches today? Absolutely. What is the loving thing for you to do? Ignore it? What's the loving thing to do? Oh, that's okay. Don't want to ruffle feathers. If someone had terminal cancer and I was a doctor and they came to ask me what was wrong with their throat because they started to develop cancer in their throat. And I said, it's okay. Everything's okay. Here's a cough drop. You would say I'm a lousy doctor, wouldn't you? uncaring, unfeeling. 
not concerned at all for the benefit of that person. But the good doctor would say, let's get you on a regimen. Let's get going. Let's do this. I have to, I'm sorry to tell you you have cancer. Let's get dealing with this. My friends, the loving thing to do is to show someone what a Christian is in the scriptures, not what the world defines it, not what people's opinions are, but what the Bible defines as a Christian. And then ask them, is this you? If this is not you, there's some, there is big reason to be concerned. It's so confusing nowadays that folks think, as long as I say I'm Christian, and I am. If I say it enough, then I am. The Bible doesn't say that. You have not received regeneration. You have not been changed. First Corinthians chapter 6. To belabor the point, I want you to know this is a topic that is touched on in so many places in Scripture. Are you really saved? If you live a life that, is, that is, does not pursue the Word of God, does not pursue fellowship with others, can you say that you are saved? Notice he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he says it again. Peter says it. I mean, Paul says it again. Do not be deceived. Don't let folks lie to you and say that you are a Christian when you're not. Okay? Neither fornicators nor idolaters. These are people who live in this way. Nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. Nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. They will not. Verse 11, he says, Such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, if they continue in that, they're not saved. But praise the, praise the Lord. He saved some of you, and now you are different. Amen? I'm sure you don't, please don't raise your hand. We could all fit into that former categories before. And because of the blood of Christ, and He has shown us His mercy, we were that. We are not that anymore. Amen? That's what I used to be. But I'm not that way anymore. Oh! Isn't that rich? Amen? Now, He says in 1 John... If we continue on in First John, if we walk in the light as he himself in the light, we have fellowship not only with him, but now it says we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It establishes true fellowship, true Christian fellowship. Okay? I'm forgiven. You're forgiven. It establishes this part of this new relationship that we have. It is a supernatural relationship. Notice he says, even in verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The context for brother there is another Christian. And so what God does is because we have been saved, he establishes the supernatural relationship, which is Christian fellowship, first with him, then with each other. Okay? 
if there is someone who consistently hates Christians, doesn't want to be around Christians, here's the application, can't stand to be around Christians, doesn't want to be around Christians, doesn't want to hang out with other Christians, doesn't want to go to uh, groups where we will pray or worship together, the Bible says if you don't have a love for other Christians, you are not a Christian. If your brother, I remember I had a brother, he, um, in the Lord, and as I was discipling him, his girlfriend claimed to be a Christian. And I said, praise the Lord, I'm glad she's claiming to be a Christian. But he, but he said one thing that was a huge red flag for me because of 1 John. He said, yes, she's a Christian, but she just doesn't like to hang around other Christian women. Doesn't want to be other around Christian. Flag. Flag. Now, can people be hurt by churches? Sure. There's sin in the church? Absolutely. Can there be messed up relationships in the church? Absolutely. And praise the Lord, God gives us power to reconcile. Okay. But if there is someone who just doesn't want to be around Christians, doesn't want to fellowship around Christians, doesn't like the company of other Christians because they call, they talk about Jesus so much. The Bible says you're not saved. Why? Because he gives us this supernatural relationship. And if you don't have the supernatural relationship, you're not saved. You don't have a love for your brother, you're in darkness. You don't have fellowship, uh, you don't have fellowship with the Father, you don't have fellowship with other people. And this is why, uh, this is, Hard for me to say this, brothers and sisters, but I say it. This is why a lot of times, even in big youth groups of different churches, you always have these kids who don't want to listen to teaching, who don't want to be around other Christians, and they keep saying and they keep telling, well, other people are so cliquish, and other people are so cliquish, and I don't want to be that there, and I don't want to be there. Could it possibly be that they just don't love the fellowship of the saints? Kids who doesn't like other Christians in youth group. A wife who doesn't want to spend time with other Christian women. A dad who doesn't want to be with other Christian men. Fellowship is so supernatural that it's one of the marks of a Christian. Some say, I have a friend who did this. I have a friend who did that. I know he's a Christian, but he doesn't like to be around other believers. He just doesn't like church. Brothers and sisters, that's not a Christian. If it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, it's a duck. It evidences your forgiveness. Notice he says, if we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we have this supernatural love, it's one of the marks, not the only marks, okay? It's one of the marks that says... Hey, I share in this forgiveness as you share in this forgiveness. That's why I could freely love you. No matter what background, no matter what age group, I can freely love you. It's wonderful, amen? Now, lastly, lastly, here's the other mark. One of the other marks, one of many, is not only do they share their lives, but they confess their sin. 
They confess their sin. Notice he says, I'm going to take this a little bit out of order. Verses 8 and 10 I'm going to put together, okay? Unbelievers deny their sin. They deny it. They excuse it. They play the blame game, okay? Unbelievers deny their sin. Look at verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, remember the Gnostics would say that if you are material, um, anything you do, any kind of sin you do is... is uh, is in the flesh, therefore it doesn't affect your spirituality. And yet the Bible says, no, you have sin. If you notice the difference between verse 8 and verse 10, he says, if we say we have no sin, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, so the first part, verse 8, is talking about sinfulness, sinful nature. Verse 10 is talking about acts of sin. Either way, it is a denial of both. I am not sinful, nor do I sin. Have you ever met people like that? Try to share the gospel. I'm okay. I'm all right. You know, I, you know, I'm not as bad. It's always like this. I'm not as bad as that guy. I haven't killed anybody. Like that's the lowest denominator into heaven, right? Right? And God says what? If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. We don't practice the truth. We don't live the truth. Verse 10, if we say that we have... We have not sinned. Notice the indictment. We make him a liar, God himself, and his word is not in us. You don't believe in God's word and what it says about you. You think you're just fine. Okay? But I want to end on this. Okay? This is pretty heavy, isn't it? Look at this last one. Verse chapter, um, look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now notice, a lot of people take this verse incorrectly. They think, if I confess this sin, in this instance of sin, then God will forgive me. I confess, he forgives. I confess, he forgives, right? Really, the text is talking about practicing, if you remember. This is in the present tense, present active indicative. He says, verse, eight, uh, verse 9, if we confess our sins, or in other words, if we are confessing our sins, in other words, if we are a people who continually confess our sins, that is what characterizes me. I confess my sins. Now, what is confess? Confess means to say the same thing, okay? Homologeo. Homo, same, logeo, to say. And what he's saying is that God's assessment of you, you agree with. You're a sinner, you need Christ. You're a sinner, you don't, you don't pursue him apart from any work of the Spirit. You're a sinner and you, and you foul things up, right? And the Bible says, no, when you are a person who continually confesses, this is the pattern of a, of, of a Christian, not someone always making excuses. Not someone always deflecting. Or someone always blame shifting. Okay, That's not confession. I did it, but you did this. I did it, but you did this. When someone says, as a Christian, finally says, you know, it's me. God, you're right. I'm a sinner. And I sin. Right? I'm a sinner and I sin. He says... 
He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We, in fact, enjoy the very forgiveness and the cleansing, present cleansing of Christ himself. So in other words, to say this, okay, the very characteristic that you're a confessor of sins is one of the indications that you are enjoying forgiveness itself in Christ. Now, brothers and sisters and friends, if you're thinking about this, man, if you're a Christian today and you say, praise the Lord, God has turned my heart. I love saints. I love to be around them. I love the truth. I love to hear it taught and preached. I want it to be in my life. I want to be committed to it. Praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. Continue in this. God wants you to be encouraged and to pursue Him. If this is not you, and if this is screaming at you, and this is not you, there is a one who can forgive. There is a one who will wash you of all your sins, who will change your life if you but come to him on his terms, not yours. And say, Jesus, please forgive me. I trust only in you and in your sacrifice on the cross. And I know you are the only payment for my forgiveness. So, in short, God's character always creates change and God's people always undergo change. Wherever you are, a believer or unbeliever, I pray you would come to Christ. This is what the text is desiring for you to do. This is what God wants you to do. Father, we are so grateful that your word is clear, though striking as it is. We pray, Father, that we would grow more and more into your truth and to your righteousness, that we would pursue faith, love, and peace in those who pursue the Lord with a pure heart. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us who know you, and I, Father, I pray if you have struck a chord by your spirit in someone's soul, that there would not be uh, fearfulness of coming to you. That you would draw them, that they would come to see Christ as who he is, beautiful and majestic, and trust in him for their salvation. Oh, Lord, bring him. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>